Good morning, everyone. We've got a great treat today. We have a special guest, uh, two special guests joining us, Philip and Claudia Jones. They are from All Saints Church in Dallas, uh, Texas. Uh, Philip is also our lead bishop in uh, what we call EMEA, the Anglican Mission in America, which our church belongs to. They are kind of the, uh, the overseeing kind of spiritual authority of our church. And, um, you know, we've been a part of them for roughly five years now. And last July, I think July 1st, our church became an official standalone church um, in uh, the, the Mission Society there, which is a great thing. We didn't really uh, uh, talk about it because uh, our conviction is to give uh, Christ, not Christianity. And so uh, we don't really make a big deal out of the um, affiliations that we have, although we think they are super important for us to be healthy and to have spiritual oversight and accountability and all those things. We value that. And we, uh, we, we eagerly uh, kind of expect that from those guys. Um, you know, we've talked a lot about our church to, uh, to Philip and many of the leaders in EMEA. Um, and some have had the chance to visit, um, but because Philip and Claudia lead on Sundays, you know, their availability to get around is pretty limited. So at the beginning of this year, we began talking to them about coming in and actually seeing the church that they've heard so much about. And our intent was for them to come and to meet you and to see how awesome you are. And so we picked May 17th because it wasn't Mother's Day and it wasn't Memorial Day weekend. And then the pandemic hit. And so we had this on the books at the beginning of the year, and then we've had to kind of scrap it. We had a big weekend planned for them that we can't do. And so they're still uh, going to join us and talk about James 2, which I'm super excited. I have no idea where it's going to go. We haven't rehearsed it. So it'll be super fun. Um, but instead of uh, the intent was that they would get to know you and the tables are kind of turned. So you're going to get to know them. And, and maybe when everything kind of maybe resolves itself or whenever we are able to regather at some point in the future and they're able to get away. Hopefully they can come and visit again. So super uh, grateful to have them join us. Before I call them, let's just read from James chapter two. So if you have a Bible, let's go to James two. We're in the second chapter, which is awesome. Verse one, James says, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. What a nickname. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen. My beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. 
if you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This is the word of our Lord. All right, I got Philip and Claudia on Zoom. Say hi. Hey. Hello. <laughs> hey. And uh, uh, will you, you know, Sandy does this thing. And I learned this from Sandy is um, anytime you're new to a congregation to like tell how you came to know Christ. What a great way to get to know someone. So like, how'd y'all come to know the Lord? Who are you? Well, I'll, I'll start for she just hit me in the knee. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> she'll, she'll jump in. Um, well, actually, it's very similar, our whole story. Uh, we both were brought up in the Episcopal Church. Uh, Claude is from Burnett. I'm from Dallas. And um, so my upbringing was that. Um, I never knew a time when I didn't really believe. So my story is not like I was all in the dark and all of a sudden there's light and this dramatic change, although there are lots of dramatic changes along the way. In junior high and high school, well, back then we called it junior high, y'all call it middle school, but uh, there were things like Young Life and Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and I would hear the gospel message that way and uh, you know, receive the sacraments on Sunday. I probably heard the gospel, but I just don't remember it that much from church itself. But I, I do remember some good things. And then... Um, uh, at the end of our, my senior year in high school, before college, I went to Swanee undergrad, which is a small liberal arts college in Tennessee. I went to a Bill Gothard basic youth conflicts conference. I've never been to anything like that. And uh, gosh, uh, you know, that was informative. I don't remember anything from it because it was five straight nights, or five or six. Uh, so there were just these points of grace that God kept dropping in, in my life. At college, um, uh, I was an English major. And so I just remember anytime something about God was in the poetry or the novel or Shakespeare or something, I'd be drawn to it. I just wanted to know more, but I wasn't really discipled. And, and, um, uh, and then just to kind of cut to the uh, quick on, on our journey, probably the University of Texas, and we knew each other uh, from a camp that we went to where we were counselors. It wasn't particularly a Christian camp, but Anyway, we um, uh, got, mar got married. I was in law school. Um, again, I'm thinking the whole time, God, I want to know you more, but I got to do this and I got to do that. And then I'm a lawyer in Waco, Texas. We're married. We have some kids. And then uh, a guy named Mark Brown, uh, whom you know, and Yoli, they moved to Waco. He's a priest in the mission at the time. Uh, he was a, uh, an Episcopal priest just starting out. Uh, and when we got to know Mark and Yoli, that's really what changed our life. Um, and I'll say one thing about it, then I'll let you talk, but that, that's when it really went to a whole either deeper or higher level, however you want to say it, whatever the right metaphor is. But, but we met a guy who's a priest in this Anglican tradition who talked about Jesus like he knew him, the Bible like it mattered, and the Holy Spirit like he was alive and it's okay. And I'd never seen those three things together in one person, much less uh, an Anglican or Episcopal priest. And then that just kind of drew, they both had so much wisdom, it just drew us in, into them, but it drew us into God. And 
the one phrase I remember he said to me one time that really hit me like a ton of bricks was, Philip, if you're a Christian, then quoting from Luke chapter 21, if you're a Christian, that means that the kingdom of God is within you. And that means wherever you go, goes the kingdom of God. And that just woke me up. And that really got my attention. And um, uh, from then on, it was just Katie bar the door. Here we go. We're, we're, we were already involved in the life of the church. We'd done things with the youth group and we were believers. We just, we just hadn't really been discipled. And, and, uh, uh, and so, but those kinds of things are, are, are the, uh, manifest themselves in a powerful way in our life. And then a few years after that was when we felt the call to uh, uh, lead the, lead the, the law practice and, and go into ordained ministry. So that, that's some of my story. I'll let Claudia fill in. Well, yeah, I, my, I mean, ours are similar in that we both did grow up in the Episcopal church and my mom and dad were real involved in the small parish that we were in. But for me, probably before Mark and Yoli came in, I really, it's interesting. I mean, the whole thing about James, I probably thought uh, that it was more about good works, about, I, I didn't think it, you know, like, but I just thought if I do the right thing, then that's, that's good. And when Mark and Yoli walked into our lives, they introduced us to a relationship with Jesus that I didn't even know was missing. I just thought I was supposed to kind of obey the rules. And my personality is such that if I trust you and you ask me to do something, I, I will because I trust your authority in my life. So I love my mom and dad. I trusted their authority. They said, this is not good. So I didn't do it. But when I really realized that I could interact with the Lord in a different way, it, it, it changed my whole world. And then when they introduced, and you know, growing up in the Episcopal church, you know that there's a Holy Spirit, but we called him the Holy Ghost and had no idea who he was or what he did or any of that stuff, but believed that there was a Father, a Son, and a Holy, Holy Spirit. But when Mark and Yoli introduced us to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we, we, it was, I, I liken it to this. It was like I was living in this amazing black and white world, and then all of a sudden, just it, it, it went into this glorious color. That doesn't mean it's been easy, you know, I mean, but it's been easy in a different way because I'm not thinking I have to figure this all out. So I grew up in a wonderful home, an older brother, a younger brother. We all went to church. We believed, but my world changed when I realized that some of the things that were missing that I didn't even know were missing were huge. So, wow. You know, you, 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 you touched on it briefly and, um, you know, we're, we're a pretty low church. You know, I, we don't, uh, we don't have all the smells and bells. I've actually never been to an Episcopal church. I don't even know. I, I've never, I grew up as Assemblies of God, so I know chandeliers <laughs> and people <laughs> swinging from them, <laughs> but, I, but I don't, I don't know. Uh, I don't know, you know, the form. So, um, but that, uh, that, that three stream idea of, you know, we tend to, we tend to go, you know, evangelical charismatic or catholic and it's like one of the three and just what a novel idea to say we'll take all three we'll take the sacraments we'll take the spirit we'll take the scripture we don't have to choose yeah. and uh, that's that's one of the big draws for me into our mission society is 
I've always been charismatic and reformed, but depending on who I was talking to, I couldn't tell them that I was on the other <laughs> side. Um, and so Anglicans were the first people that was like, oh, you can be reformed and filled with the Spirit and be sacramental. I didn't know that that was an option. That's great. That's how I've always been, just been hiding it from people, you know, so. It's pretty powerful. I, yeah, the three streams. Um, pretty cool. Tell us a little bit about All Saints and the church you helped start in Dallas and y'all have moved into a, a new place that's kind of cool and a new season. It's so, well, so exciting to see. It is exciting to, to talk about it. Uh, we were in Little Rock at the time. I was there five years. That's when I joined the mission. And uh, there was a group of people in Dallas uh, who lived in the central part of Dallas, kind of near downtown. And uh, the closest good Episcopal or Anglican church was in Plano. So they'd go out there uh, every Sunday to Christ Church. David Roseberry was the uh, rector at the time, pastor, senior pastor. Anyway, they wanted to plant a church somewhere um, closer into town. And at that time, I was a bishop. I was in Little Rock, senior pastor of the church and a bishop. And because I'm from here, you know, they came to me. Could you help us find somebody? So that's what I was praying about, who, who could come here. There was about 17 people. Uh, then one of the, uh, uh, a person on the search committee um, kind of went rogue and called me and said, would you ever consider moving here? Now I've known her, both of us have known her for a long time. And uh, she said, Philip, you know, you grew up here. You know, a lot of people here. Claudia knows lots of people here. Um, you're all the three streams, what we want. And um, so that was in June of 2010, I think. Uh, and then in August of 2010, we uh, moved to Dallas uh, for 17 people that we were working with to, to start the church. Uh, I never planted a church before, but here I was, the uh, bishop in the church planting society. So it was my sense of humor and, and uh, all that. But I was excited. I was scared. Uh, I'm from Dallas. Uh, I'm from kind of a part of Dallas that, that uh, uh, you know, a lot uh, is expected of you, where performance is important. There are lots of great, big, wonderful churches in this area. And I thought, what am I doing moving in the shadows of all these churches? But what I did, what we did bring with us, was an excitement and a hunger and and uh, a focus on the Holy Spirit. There, there are plenty of Anglican-type churches, liturgical churches, and plenty of good Bible churches, but the Holy Spirit part was really missing from a lot of churches around here. It just wasn't lifted up as much. So that's why we moved, and uh, we started, we didn't even worship for about four months, and I went through an identity crisis. I already did. I, who am I? Why am I here? I'm not leading a church on Sundays like I had been doing for so long, um, and so I just—it was—it was really a, a um, kind of internal conflict with me. But uh, together, you know, we we would talk and share, and and uh, and then we started meeting at a church once a month for four months, and then we'd always go out for dinner afterwards and and take them all to a Mexican restaurant. And we kid, we said we grew this church one margarita at a time. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> having fun, but, but really, you know, doing the whole three streams and talking about that. And then eventually we, we found uh, a place that we worshiped in for about eight years. It wasn't a church building, but we, we made it to a church. And uh, during that time, um, I felt like we needed to find a place where we could be permanent, a place we could own. We just rented that place. So the long and short of it is, Drew, uh, and people of the gathering, we, we found this building downtown. Um, and uh, it's an old car dealership 
built in 1924, I think, and uh, um, abandoned building with a big parking lot. Uh, and Drew's been to the space. It, it's really unique. I want to invite everyone, if you can, sometime to come to Dallas and worship with us. Uh, we kept the structure. It, it had nothing, no plumbing, no electrical, no nothing. So we redid the inside, um, put in lots of windows. So here we are in the middle of downtown Dallas, uh, right next to a bunch of homeless shelters, right across the street from a, a public high school, uh, one block away from City Hall. And uh, if you know Dallas, I-30 kind of divides Dallas from north and south. And we're right there at the crossroads uh, of all that. And um, uh, so um, it was a journey uh, to move and, and to, to help people see God was calling us to move. I actually had a word from the Lord one time when I was still back and forth, coming from Little Rock to Dallas, decide if I was going to take the position or do this church plan. I saw the, the skyline of downtown Dallas and I heard the Lord say, this doesn't happen often, but he said, this is your mission field. Now, I thought he just meant Dallas in general or somewhere near downtown, but it turns out to be right in the middle of downtown. So that that's our story, and, and people have come along. We opened up July 7th uh, last summer, so we haven't been there quite a year yet, um, and uh, we're loving it. Uh, we hate the fact that we're not meeting. We haven't met, obviously, for two, two and a half months uh, down there, but uh, there'll be a day we'll get back and get to do that. My, when I... <laughs> Whenever I visited, I remember being outside and and uh, and uh, Larley pointed a car to me that across the street, yeah. and he said, "That's a drug deal." Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, "There's, there's all kinds of deals going on." There's all all kinds of things happen in your na- neighbor your oh, yeah. neighborhood. Well, I time, love that. One time during a service, there was somebody who got in a fight outside our windows, and and uh, I didn't really see it, but but they were throwing things at each other. And so Larda had to go out there and calm that down. So it's, um, it, it's a yeah. unique experience. Yeah. I always say light shines best in darkness. So I love that, you know, y'all haven't retreated to the suburbs where a lot of church planters go, but you've, you've kind of followed the Lord into the hard places um, hard place. where it's difficult. We're glad to be there. Yeah. Cool. Hey, let's show, let's, I already read James two. So what, what are some things that kind of stand out here? Uh, I'm 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 kind of I'm. Thank you for giving me a break to not put a sermon together. So, you know, I uh, I'm interested to see kind of what the Lord says to you um, as you as you kind of read this first part about maybe not being uh, discriminatory towards people based on appearances. Um, you know, James. I know y'all have been studying James. It's such a practical book, and it's not so much like Paul that kind of parses out what the gospel is and, and how we see it, but rather it assumes you, you have the gospel. It assumes you know the gospel. And as a result, then what? So what? Um, and, and it's so practical. There's so many things to, uh, to say about all of it, and especially uh, this part as well. I think for me, um, it's something I, I talk a lot about in, in talks and sermons and when I listen to other people. Um, everyone is created in the image of God. The person that you have the most problems with or the person that you uh, would, would least think about, uh, obviously here he's talking about discrimination uh, uh, but from the rich basically to the poor. 
and with, you know, when people come into church and, um, but it's something we, it, it has to go to our identity. It seems to me. And the first thing is to recognize everybody's created in the image of God. Now that was the basis of all social action in the church beginning 2000 years ago. And, but we, we take it as common sense. Of course, that's true. But they didn't think that. It's, it's really a new development in thinking uh, that Christianity brought to the world. It was Christianity that began to build hospitals and orphanages and, and rec uh, you know, taking care of the babies when people fled Rome during the plagues or during uh, invasions. And um, it's, it's Christians that care uh, about uh, the child in the womb and, and all those issues that surround all those things. And we just kind of take it for granted. Uh, but actually, it was a unique development. And I think this passage, to me, um, that, 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 that's the underlying basis of this passage, is that everyone is made in the image of God. Therefore, how we treat people and how we deal with people, people we can hold people accountable, but we always, always want to value the integrity of every human being. And I think that's a lot of what underlies um, what James is saying here. But you know what? It's interesting because whenever, um, whenever I, I kind of, you know, study to to, to re remind or remember stuff, I always look up the definition of of the words. And obviously, the verse that kind of stood out was the very last part of of two thirteen, which says, "Mercy triumphs over judgment." So I looked up mercy, and um, it means benevolence or kindness, but it's also compassionate behavior on the part of those in power. And judgment is retribution, penalty, or punishment. So I was asking the Lord, because I mean, obviously, you know, if we read this, we can remember times when we've done exactly this, when we've seen someone, even like at church, if the two men fighting had been in nice clothes, Larley might not have gone out and done anything. You know what I'm saying? So we, we, we view people with kind of skewed vision. And, and I was thinking as I was reading this, you know, Lord, show me where I've done this. But one of the things that came back to me that was so um, powerful, we, 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 uh, two, of our, two of our girls got pregnant um, before they were married. And when the first one um, was pregnant, she was she and and her, and her um, the, the father were going to get married, and uh, and the, the greatest blessing was that neither of them ever even thought about taking the life of the baby. They they were that was not an, an option. But I went. They decided to get married, and I went in with her to um, a. a a china store or whatever you want to call it like a registry place and and it was obvious that she was pregnant and the lady uh was so unkind to her and um i remember thinking that she was obviously judging her because she was pregnant and just and and getting married and and that the lord brought that back to me when i was reading this passage because she knew what she had done was out of order and, and, and she felt the shame of that in some ways, 
but the mercy that the church showed her, the people in Little Rock, was unbelievable. And so I was just thinking, mercy triumphs over judgment. Yeah, she knew that she had done something wrong, but there was no reason to continue to just like smash her for it, you know? And so I think there are times when it's harder for us to give mercy because we think that we are condoning situations uh, or we think that we're better than in the situation of like someone in fine clothes and someone not in fine clothes. But yeah, so I just thought compassionate behavior on the part of those in power. uh, Do we do that? when we have authority or power or whatever over other people, do we show mercy? I hope I do. I want to, but I, I, I know I haven't always. I tell you, Drew, where this really hits home, this passage in our church, we're right there in the middle of a bunch of homeless uh, shelters. And so the big question was, are they going to be invited to come in and worship with us? Um, and so uh, those aren't sometimes easy answers to that. Of course, we want people to feel welcome, but of course, we want people to worship it appropriately. Um, if that's the right word, I'm not sure that's the right word. But and so we're still working this out. Kind of, uh, uh, we want to, we want to, of course, protect individuals and safety and all that kind of thing. So when when people do come in, we, we welcome them, and they're not coming in like in mass. I think that's what everyone was scared of. It's not that people didn't want them to worship with us, but there was an appropriate way, kind of, you know, safety, security, looking at some of those things, and yet feeling welcoming people in as well. And probably people from the street aren't going to understand how to follow our service as easy as if it were some other kind of service because of the liturgy and those kinds of things. Uh, so we're still having to work some of this out. Doesn't mean we judge them, although I'm sure that's going on. We want to show mercy. I know lots of that's going on. We've been told by the homeless shelters, for example, don't give money. Don't give food. Don't even give clothes. But make eye contact. But make eye contact and, and treat them with like dignity. People. Yeah. Because what they say is, and here again, this is just learning what the homeless people's uh, shelters say, tell us. They're so glad we're there. But listen, if, if we give them these things, they'll barter them for drugs. Or the drug dealers will come in and they'll make them barter them for stuff. And uh, so, man, it's, it's a, that's when it gets kind of tough, trying to figure those things out. Yeah, what I appreciate about you guys, I don't know if I've heard uh, Blanchett um, talk about this, is y'all have approached, it seems like y'all have approached those organizations and said, how can we help? Not, here's our idea that we're going to do. But, but I, right. yeah. I like that y'all have taken that posture of listening because uh, it's probably not the intuitive thing for Christians to come in there and say, no, don't give all these things because you would feel the mm-hmm. compassion and want to because they're asking for it. But those organizations on the ground have been there before you. They they know the um, all the ins and outs of what happens when you try to help, but you actually hurt. So that's a tough deal. Is how do how do how do you be merciful without being judgmental, without also hurting? You know, you might feel like you're being merciful, but you could actually be hurting. So it's tricky. That's why we have the Holy Spirit, right? Well, He guides us, and and you know, and the collective wisdom. I, I'm a big believer. Uh, just in the collective wisdom of the leadership that we have, whether it's lay or ordained, uh, to talk and share and think about these things together. And I'm so grateful for people 
uh, like Mike or Dave Arley or Mark uh, Walls or other, and then our board and all those people. And we seem to be coalescing around some common wisdom together. Yeah. yeah. This, you know, this first verse here, uh, you kind of, you kind of hit on it at the beginning when he says, my, my dear brothers and sisters, that this foundation of all this is the family of God. You know, we are, we are in God's family. We're created in his image. And, um, which you kind of touched on and, um, but that big idea seems to be in this section, if you claim to be a, a, a faith, if you claim to have faith, if you claim to follow Jesus, how can you favor people over others? You know, just, it's actually pretty simple. Now working it out is difficult, but like the idea there is if you actually have faith, don't favor based on appearance or skin color or gender or you know uh, any social status or rich or poor or whatever. Just look at everyone as Jesus sees them. You know, um, how, how does that? How is that difficult in other ways in Dallas and in the world y'all are in? A lot of powerful uh, business leaders are here. Um, a lot of powerful people in the arts, and, and when I say powerful, I mean, you know, esteemed, respected, uh, resourced, well off, and Dallas is a very generous city too. Uh, <clears throat> I, but I grew up here, and I grew up in a part of Dallas that was mainly white and mainly, you know, upper middle class, and um, so I know that that affects me. Um, I don't want it to, right? I don't want to try to let it do that. And I think by and large, I'm, I'm uh, really able to, to see whether it's race or color or even creed and all those kinds of things. Um, so I really think it is a work of the Holy Spirit to transform the heart. And uh, back to my early um, talk about the, my conversion, the way I see it is Conversion is an ongoing thing. Um, there's ongoing deeper and deeper and deeper conversions. And, and uh, part of it is what this passage talks about. They were confronted with our identity over and over and over again, the image of God that we're made into. So uh, we have people in our church that are on the bottom rung of, of the economic ladder and social ladder. We have people in our church who are on the top rung of the economic and social ladder. And then we have a lot of people in between. I think that's part of the draw. People know that. Um, and they know they're, they know they're welcome there. Um, and uh, did you have a thought on that particular question? Well, I mean, in eight, he goes back and says, you do well if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And I think that's also the merciful part is that um, when we hold ourselves in high esteem, it's pretty hard to mm. uh, be merciful in some ways when we judge others. And it, it, but again, it's like you both have said: it, it, without the Holy Spirit, there's no way we can we can show that kind of love or that kind of mercy. And that it doesn't mean we don't assess situations, I guess, but the judgment of our heart takes away the mercy and makes it really hard for us to love. So you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Then he goes on. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted 
I mean, whether you keep the whole rest of the law, if we show partiality, we're convicted as transgressors. And I think that's, that's, that's pretty hard because I, I know I've transgressed that and that doesn't make me happy at all. But I also know that because of God's grace and his mercy, you know, we take it to him and ask for forgiveness and, and ask for uh, him to show us how to walk differently. So it's just that sense of relying completely on him, that moment by moment abiding, where when we come into a situation, we just say, show me how to, show me how to respond, show me how to love, show me how not to be afraid. Um, but it's, it's a conscious thing, I think. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, uh, always remembering how the gospel levels everybody. Hmm. So those who seem to be, <laughs> because of what the gospel said, we're all sinners, right? And so, uh, and yet we're all have the opportunity to be saved by Christ and lifted up. So we're all low in one respect, right? So for the for the person who's well off and who's more esteemed in culture and society, they need to be careful not to approach it as a middle-class faith. Well, these are the kind of people I hang, hang around. So therefore, when they, if, if we do that, if we only limit ourselves to people like us, that's going to drain the whole gospel uh, imperative. And they need to recognize that, that they are as much need of salvation and rescue as the poor person uh, who knows they're on the bottom rung of things, and they need to be lifted up, right? So the gospel does both to both parties. It both it both um, uh, it helps both rich and poor, whatever categories you want to use. We're all in need of being rescued. At the same time, we all have been rescued, and that's the dignity that we have. And so in church, as Christians, in a preaching, teaching, singing, whatever it may be, constantly reminded of that. We're no better off than the one that, that the culture doesn't respect. Uh, and um, we're no worse off than, than the people that the culture does respect. And the gospel levels everything at the cross. That's so great. You know, I it's a good reminder, even this the, the polarized society we live in today, uh, it just, it just seems like um, there's so many ways that people can be divided. You know, we uh, won't even give examples. We don't even need examples. We just know, like we're so, we're so divided on so many things that we think are important, and th- and maybe they are important. But w- the the hope in this is is like the gospel treats us all the same. You know, uh, Republican, Democrat, Independent, uh, whatever race, whatever gender, whatever rich or poor, we are all one. We are all, we are all just people in God's sight. You know, and and I, um, like you said, that humbles those who are proud, and those who are beating themselves up. It it elevates them to a status of dignity. You know, so um, I think maybe that's why James says, if you have, if you actually had faith in Christ you would know there, there's no need to show partiality because God doesn't show favoritism like that. Um, so, you know, maybe, so in a loving way, get on board with how God sees people. You know, because of where we're located, uh, on Sunday mornings when we 
used to <laughs> gather and look forward to when we gather again. One of the real blessings for us, is, for me, because I'm standing there, is welcoming people in that you haven't seen before, that you don't know who they are. You don't know where they come from. You don't know why they're there. But they're not there because it's the thing to do, <laughs> to go to a downtown church, because it's not. And they're there for some other reason, and they feel welcome. And Drew, I know your people feel the same way, but the, the greatest, one of the greatest blessings I hear from people who are new to the church is how welcome they feel. And it, it's just an environment. It's just something in the air. It's not because we have a really cool welcoming committee uh, or it's not because we you know, can uh, uh, spot them on the way in and have people look out for them and, and uh, know their whole background or something. It's just because that's, it's a work of the spirit. That's the only way I can, I can frame it. And being downtown, though, they're there for a purpose. <laughs> they have to be there for a purpose. Uh, so it's not the, the church easy, the one, the easy church to go to down the block or something. And um, that helps put everything in perspective. You know, that, that gives, I've, I've been thinking about, well, what's the practical? Like, what, what's, what are some of the takeaways here? Um, you know, you started talking about how Mark and Yoli welcomed you in shared the love of Jesus with you in a profound way and discipled you. And uh, the kingdom fruit, and that's been pretty in- remarkable and incredible. And, you know, y'all have, uh, y'all, y'all have blessed our church in many ways. And, you know, I barely know Mark, right? So it's kind of cool to see how the Spirit uses lots of different people. Uh, I'm thinking for those listening, um, who is in your life right now that in the world's eyes it might be natural to show partiality to for whatever reason. But in the economy of the kingdom, who has God placed in your life for you to treat as a child of God, to love, to give dignity to, to recognize the image of God that's inherently in them? And how might your love towards them transform things? Because you don't judge, because you don't um, show partiality, because you don't discriminate, because you don't favor but because you show mercy and you love. Uh, I know that, that's something I want to offer our church uh, is, um, you know, I, I've been in places where I didn't feel welcomed. And I'd never, I'll, I'll never forget the pain of that. And I've been in places why where did, I was, why, where I why was didn't welcomed. You feel welcome? Well, why didn't you feel welcomed? What, what was it about that? Yeah, yeah, just, you know, I wasn't athletic enough or I wasn't... Um, or you know the the one example that came to my mind is I was an outsider. There was a there was a um, it was at a church and there it, there was a clique and they were nice to me. And I remember we went to a restaurant and I got my food and sat down, and um, I sat next to some I sat next to the leader of the group on accident. I I just set my stuff down. I didn't know the leader was sitting there, and there was a a, a couple and they they all had to reshuffle seats because it was unspoken that they sat next to the leader of the group and I was sitting in their seat. And I remember sitting at the edge of the table and I had to eat my lunch and no one talked to me. And, um, I was, it, it was, that was very painful. Um, you know, just like, Oh wow, I'm an outsider, you know? Um, so yeah, I never want people to feel like that around me. I never want people to feel like that in our church. Um, so I think that that's something to guard against is the clicks, the, the you know, Lord, can you help us always keep an eye for, uh, quote, the outsider or the new person who doesn't have all the relational 
inside jokes, but that we can just love and welcome in. I think that's so powerful. I think that's one thing that's uh, been kind of fun in, in planting a church. You start them from scratch, you know, yeah, so yeah, they yeah. can't be insiders because nobody's an insider. And uh, I mean, there could be the original people that helped start it, but they're not even all here anymore. So you have people that, that add on and, and come on uh, down the road. And um, uh, I, if we had the antenna up all the time about the things we're talking about, God will show us. And he'll show you the one, Claudia is wonderful, frankly, at, at, uh, uh, at a lot of things. But one of them she's really cool about is, is uh, spotting the person that no one's paying attention to um or a relative that no one talks to anymore and she'll go to that relative and and uh and just talk to them and and uh sometimes get in trouble for doing that but <laughs> but she she really has a heart for that i know you're i know what you're saying is true because i've felt that around her i have felt yeah. in, included and loved and um that's one reason why i asked her to be a part of this is is for those reasons Claudia, could I put you on the spot and have you close us in prayer? Sure. Am I am I allowed to do that? I'm recording, so I think you're obligated to say yes. Yeah, I would love to pray. Um, Lord Jesus, we come before you with grateful hearts. We thank you for your love for us. Um, it gives us the freedom through the Spirit to love your people and to hopefully have eyes to see people with your eyes, not with the way that we see them critically, judgmentally, competitively, whatever it is that we come um, into situations with, Lord. We ask that you would continue to fill us with your spirit in ways that draws close to you and that bring glory and honor to your name. And I thank you for Drew and the gathering and all the people that, uh, that worship there that love you and, and are growing in ways that, um, that we, we know, Lord, is um, a gift. We don't take that for granted either. So just continue to uh, draw us close, give us grateful hearts, and help us to um, know the treasure and the gift of your love that's been poured out into our hearts through your spirit, as Romans 1.5 tells us. So thank you. Thank you. Amen. 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 You know, with this, uh, uh, thank you for that. With this change, we've been closing our sermons saying the Lord's Prayer together. And it's usually, I just hear my voice because I'm the only one doing it. And everyone's saying it at home. But maybe the three of us could say it together and then we get a plural voice. How about that? That sounds good. Well, kind of, right. the, the Trinity. Here we got three people. It's kind of like the Trinity. That's right. All right. Well, let's pray as our Lord taught us to pray, saying... Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us of our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.